Welcome to the Keto Call Podcast. Today we have again Dr. Ochi here with us. So before we go ahead uh, and get started, let me go and call Brooke. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great, great. So, Brooke, uh, we, we just last week, we had a very, very nice episode with Dr. Uh, Jim Ochin, and he, he kind of mentioned a little bit, starting very brief, briefly mentioning uh, about some of the work that he has done. And today in our uh, feedlot, in our research call here, we have him again. Hello, Dr. Ochin. How are you? Very good. Pleasure to have you here again. Uh, we are in person here. So, uh, can you just uh, ask him what is the questions that we have uh, for him today and some things to, to go ahead and with this episode? Sure. So, like you mentioned, we're talking a little bit about uh, some work that he started during his PhD uh, with the Davis Growth Model. So, Dr. Olchin, can you just tell us what the Davis Growth Model is and how you came up with that project? So uh, as all PhD students do, they have to have something to write in their thesis, and <laughs> something that's original and creative. And so my objective, because of what I was interested in, which was basically growth of cattle and how they would, how you would hopefully make some money on them. And so you, <laughs> to do that, you needed to know when they would be at a certain weight and when they would be of a certain composition in terms of amount of fat or marbling, some of that to, uh, to more optimally market them. So the idea was, how can we do that? And the, I, what we then came up with, and I working with uh, my major professor, uh, Lee Baldwin at the time was to figure out how to extend the biology that uh, Dr. Baldwin, as well as a, he had developed with Dr. John Black from Australia, they had basically gone through each of the organ systems in rats and pigs and a few other species to determine if you could use some basic concepts of cell number and cell size growth, hyper, hypertrophy and hyperplasia is the technical term, how those organs would grow And it turned out that they actually made some three, and I won't go through all of it, but three pretty <laughs> simplifying assumptions. And it turned out that all those organs followed those assumptions. And so I said, well, huh, if that works, how about could we just say that those assumptions work for the whole animal? Mm -hmm. And so we did it. And, for, and it turned out, and, I, and you may find this funny, that I had some really good data on growth of rats. Okay. And they had taken a bunch of rats, another group, and, and published this and slaughtered the slaughtered, I guess yeah, you kill the rats. Okay. Sac <laughs> sacrifice them is the proper term. Okay. At all, you know, many many rats at different times of their life and basically determined the composition of growth for those mm -hmm. rats. And we put that those assumptions, those three assumptions together and It did a wonderful job, a perfect job of, of modeling or simulating those rats' growth. Cool. And so we said, well, huh, cows aren't any more complicated than rats, right? So, <laughs> so let's, try it, let's try it with steers. And so uh, I'm giving you a really long answer to a short question. No. But the idea then was, so let's see if we can do it with cows and come up with a way of really predicting based on their intake or their food intake, how much they would grow. Mm -hmm. And so 
then that was the next two years of work because it wasn't trivial. Okay. So that, that's where it was. And so the idea of what is the Davis growth model, it's basically just like our energy systems that we use to our feeding systems, we use to get growth today. You, you give, you have the amount of, do you have the feed that they give? In other words, the energy of the feed, the TDN we call it, or the net energy. And we know how much of it they ate, or we have to input that. We didn't, we're not predicting that at this point mm-hmm. with the, that model. And then we basically, based on what type the animal is, what its composition was when you start. Mm-hmm. And we really d- did this in California with, without having to adjust for bad weather or anything else, because those rats were originally grown with no problems. Lab, yeah. And so we wanted to make sure this model would work first when in pretty much ideal conditions. And then we would add more and, and try nice. to fix or adjust later. And the point was, is that this model then predicted growth better than the current NRC would, because when we use the NRC, or this was the current U.S. feeding system, mm-hmm. it would uh, it would do a pretty good job of prediction. But when we actually started using this model for, and we specifically used, developed this model so that it would take care of growth that was interrupted or restricted for a while, and then we fed them, like, so we had put cattle on grass, and then we put them in a feedlot very much different times of periods of growth, this model would then accommodate that. Mm-hmm. And so that was our objective. And it did a much better job of that than the current uh, feeding systems would do. Mm-hmm. So that was our objective. And then that was, and we've tested it against the meat animal research data, meat animal research center data from Clay Center. That, okay. And we also tested it against some, uh, basically literature data at the time. Okay. So we were doing better. I'm going to tell you, it's still never perfect, and we've yes. learned to do better in the, in the years since then. But at least at that time, we were making a step forward. Okay. So, and so, what what are the major inputs that you had okay. in the model? So, I'm going to go back and give you a little bit of what the three assumptions I said okay. were. And the, the the first assumption is is that basically animals. Unless you do some major manipulation, kind of have a mature size, mm-hmm. which we say, you know, if, you're, if your dad was, was tall and your mom was tall, there's probably a good chance you're going to be tall. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so we can kind of predict that. And, and of course, in our cattle industry, we have EPDs, we have genetic values to look at and you start to use to to input into those models, which gives us an idea of what we call the frame size or mature body weight. Mm-hmm. So that's an input to the model. And that really does drive growth. Okay. And we t- actually, we developed that with the rats. We took a, we took our original rat model and then had another set of data on some other rats that were much bigger than the previous mm-hmm. rats made the adjustment in just the frame size, mm-hmm. just out of mature weight. And the model worked perfectly again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and so that was, you know, that's, that's an easy one, Yes, but that's very much a very important mm-hmm. part of that model. The other part of the model, the other assumption is that for however big, however you're, uh, we called it the amount of DNA, the, the amount mm-hmm. of cells that you would have in your body, cells can only get so large, okay. you know, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so that would give us an upper limit on how much protein or how much fat they could end up being some okay. at some point. So that was another assumption that helped help that model work. 
Mm-hmm. So those are the two main assumptions. The other one has to do with more metabolically active tissue, okay. which we then used uh, uh, 15 or 18 years later when I went to Australia and developed another model that mm-hmm. we looked at uh, to improve this model. Very, very interesting. And so it's basically like you put the frame, let's say it's how much the animal, how big the animal can be. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the second input is the, the the DNA, then it's like how big they can become or how what's the potential that they yeah. have. And in cattle, you might think of muscling. Yes. Yeah, some animals are just going to be more muscular than others. And uh-huh. that may not be just related to frame size. It may be related to some other things that maybe that are inherent in the how genetics to, of that animal. Yeah, that's what, how to access that. That was, that. Uh, it's... Uh, a kind of a complicated answer, but it's essentially what some of the parameters, some of the nu- numerical parameters are in the model. And okay. it, it, if you're ever familiar with the model, it's the K2 value. Okay. <laughs> but that's not important here. The, the point is, is that different animals not only are different in size, they also differ in how they are able to grow. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to do with some of them are it's the ratio of their protein synthesis to protein degradation. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you make protein, the animal also is always degrading protein. Mm-hmm. And some of that relationship between those two is how that is affected in the model. Sounds complicated, but if you look at the mathematics, it's really just one number. That's, that's, that's nice. Uh, and since you started that, how much you, you have advanced on that and, and what, I know you're still like working, let's say a little, it's, it's a probably different approach, like on yeah. Meredith's work now and how much it has advanced and what do you see in the future that you want to see? In, okay. In so, world? so two, two things come to mind. So in a subsequent, in a sabbatical I did in Australia, we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm we decided to try to simplify some of the ideas in the, that model just to make it easy to use. Yes. We had some, we had some excellent sheep data to work with. And we decided that uh, the best way to improve the energetic part of the model and, and make a big improvement was to separate out, just not just take the animals one big thing, one big mm-hmm. box, mm-hmm. but make it into two components. We call yeah. it two pools uh, one of them was the viscera, all the liver, the gut, the lungs, the heart, uh-huh. spleen, that, and intestines, that part of the animal, and all the rest of the animal. Okay. Okay. And when we did that, we could do a much better job of, of getting the growth even more accurate with uh-huh. the model because those organs are very responsive to the energy intake of the animal. Okay. So those, if you have a high energy, those organs use lots of energy mm-hmm. and it, therefore it kind of increases what we call their maintenance requirements. So mm-hmm. if you increase their maintenance requirement, yeah, it uses more energy for that. But since they have so much more energy, they're going to still grow fast. Yes. But then here's what happens. What if you restrict, suddenly restrict those animals? Mm-hmm. Those animals still have big organs. They're growing, they use a lot of energy. So the animals really lose weight fast. It's a bad, it's tough on the animal because they, Mm -hmm. their organs have to slow down. Mm -hmm. Fortunately in animal agriculture, we usually are the other way. Mm 
Were you, where were you restrict first? And then when we put them in uh, a better feed situation, their internal organs are actually using less energy. They're going to catch up, uh-huh. but they actually get what we call compensatory growth. And uh-huh. so, and that's worth, worth something. And even in, uh, for example, uh, the, uh, several other animal industries, not just cattle, turkeys, mm-hmm. for example, use that and how they feed, use their feeding systems and levels mm-hmm. to ma- take advantage of that and, and make their whole system more efficient. Very, very, very nice. So what about the future? Do you do like, what, like, what, are the, what do you want to see in the future? That was, that was the other part of what I was going there, okay. is that the, uh, our feeding systems are continually evolving. Mm-hmm. We're improving those, uh, as we speak, the beef and our the beef uh, nutrient requirements came out a few years ago with some major improvements. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Luis Tedeschi at XAM added a lot of things that help us with the growth side at some of those. But what I'm also working with now is some of the Australians who are taking some of the models we've developed and incorporating that into their future feeding systems to improve their predictions. Mm-hmm. So the idea is now that we have these models that don't, they don't just have to be in somebody's computer model on a, on a, on a computer somewhere. They can also be involved in, in the actual way that we predict and, uh, and formulate rations and formulate uh, feeding strategies and some of that. So uh, they, uh, at least the Australians are working on those. And, and basically it's a, it's a small world. Once, once they develop some things, other people from other, other countries will use the good parts of all those and improve <laughs> their systems as well. So hopefully some of what we've done here, well, I know it, I've been working with them, but some of the a- aspects we've been talking about are going to be in that system. Great. That's, that's really, really, really good. Well, yeah, that was a, a quick, but very deep overview. I would say I like not that deep, but like you cover a lot of ground here in a short period of time. And, and it, it's, it is very, very good. Again, Dr. Ochi, uh, I think you, you kind of answer my question. Do you have any question, Brooke? I do have, I have one question. Um, I've done a tiny bit of modeling, um, not nearly to the extent you have Dr. Olchem, but I was wondering what was the like most difficult part or the biggest roadblock in starting this project and even just continuing to improve it? In, in truth, the most difficult part, at least when I think back to the uh, original research, was developing the trajectory of growth of a normal steer. Now you might think that's so simple. Don't we know that? <laughs> I challenge you to go to the literature and find any paper that has really good data for the body weights and composition of animals like every two weeks of their life. We had that with rats. Yes. So there's been, and so we kind of interpolated and I did a lot of work and I had a lot of data from California studies of different times, different ages. And I built, developed what we called the reference Hereford steer. Because remember, this was back in the 80s. So Angus uh-huh. were getting popular then, but it was still the old Hereford was the average, the, what we had all the data on. I mean, Bill Garrett, Dr. Garrett's data went back into the 60s. Uh-huh. And so I had a lot of data points 
never with the same animal, only two points with each animal. I see. But uh, so then I developed that and I spent, I probably spent literally a month or two uh, putting points on a, on graph paper and trying to figure out the best equation for the line that fit all those points. Wow. And, and remember that the computer was as near as advanced as yeah. and, and, you know, it sounds like it would be a trivial thing to do, but that was really, really difficult. Yeah. You know, the other parts have been difficult. Just coming up with the equation forms, we tried all kinds of equations. So I remember I did some mathematics and so, I had a lot of different equations I could try, but I had to get it just right. So, so it curved just right and did everything at the, in, in mathematics, I say, if you get the limits right, then the, then the other parts are easy. Well, in animal science, we don't hardly ever have the limits. Well, we know that we know conception of birth weight or the weight zero, Uh but Tell me what the mature, actual mature weight, if you kept an animal around for a long, long time is. We kind of do it with with females, with cows, but mm-hmm. with the growing steer, those steers, you know, we have had steers that have been cannulated and we keep around the university to get rumen fluid on. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, and we don't feed them very much, but if you fed them what they would eat, they would become huge. Oh, yeah. And you really don't know. So that was a challenge. Great. Any any other question, Brooke? No, that was my big question for him. That was a nice question. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you once again, Dr. Ochim. We appreciate like those were two very nice episodes. We appreciate your time. Appreciate you being here. Uh, all of the advices, all of the things we learned. Thank you once again. Do you have any final thoughts? Any final message? No, I just appreciate doing this and uh, good luck. Keep it up. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you who are listening to our podcast. If you have any question, any comment, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, the description, the, the link is in this, the description of this episode. And please uh, send us any feedback, any question that you may have about our podcast, our work. We'll be happy to answer. Thank you very much. And remember, it's always a good time for a kettle call. A cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call.